Hey everybody, y'all, it's Jurjevich here with another episode of the Phoenix Pod. Man, oh man, are you in for a treat this month. Demetrius B. Short, CEO and founder of Transformation Life Center here in Nashville. Amazing conversation. If you've ever heard this guy speak, you know it's just a bundle of energy and good conversation. Uh, we gave Transformation Life Center a grant at our leadership dinner last month, and it was just incredible. You all are in for a treat. Listen to the whole episode. We cover a lot of different topics. Goes down from his personal journey of triumph and tribulation all the way to the engagement and conversations between the black and white community in Nashville, Tennessee. Hope you enjoy. We had our mayoral forum for all the candidates running for mayor of Nashville, and it was a fantastic event, fantastic turnout. Thank you to everybody that was involved in making that a reality. That was probably my favorite Phoenix Club event that I've been to to date. If anybody has any questions or wants to get a hold of anybody at the club, phoenixclubofnashville.org is the easiest way to get in touch with any of us or via our social media handles. And outside of that, I won't talk much longer. Here's Demetrius. All right, I'm not going to do like a super big intro because, well, we did an entire podcast episode last week and then... We got about an hour worth of episode, <laughs> but only forty-five minute worth of recording. So there's a there's a there's a secret tape out there. Maybe I'll maybe I'll release the bloopers at Man, some point. Come on, yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right, so Demetrius Short, we uh, we did a whole episode and <laughs> we had some technical issues. Let's just leave it at that, to where I can't release that episode. So we're re-recording. So look, it's a treat for everybody. You get a you get a, a attempt number two. So Demetrius Short. Tell the people who you are. Welcome to the Phoenix Pod again. Wow. Glad to be here again. Uh, I'm just a kid from Cincinnati, Ohio. I grew up uh, in a healthy high school. Mom and dad, Alan and Betty Short. I'm son number three of six amazing siblings, uh, five boys and a girl. I'm right in the middle and uh, grew up in a healthy high school. Baseball, football, basketball, 3.6 GPA. 16 clubs a year, uh, voted most involved, mm. received the highest award in high school you can receive. It's being named after the school, Mr. Mount Healthy, 1992. And I was ready to take on the world and go to college to be the first of my family to go to college. And uh, that's what brought me down to, to Nashville, Tennessee. So love my upbringing, love my family, uh, great rich heritage in Cincinnati, Ohio. And um, uh, I'm just four hours away. Close enough, but far enough from the family. You know right, what, right, what right. that means. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough to go home, but uh, far enough to where uh, somebody needs something fixed at the house. You ain't getting called. There you go. Can't call. Don't call Demetrius. <laughs> right, right. And and you are um, the CEO of the Transformer, Transformation Life Center, which uh, tell the folks a little bit about that. Yes, indeed. Uh, Transformation Life Center was birthed through my struggle. Uh, again, we talked in, about transitioning into to college. Mm-hmm. You know, big dreams, big aspirations. I never thought I would own a non. I didn't know what a nonprofit was. You know, the whole features of that. I was going to be a computer scientist, uh, get my dream job with IBM, code, make a bunch of money, live my life, uh, and help people. You know, always was one to to help people. But um, Transformation Life Center came from me leaving Cincinnati, Ohio, not having a scholarship to go to school. Uh, imagine that three point six, Mister Mount Healthy. Football, baseball, basketball, decent and all. Uh, but you would think that with the brains and the athleticism, 
I would at least get a D3 <laughs> scholarship. Right. Somebody picked this great uh, this guy up. Um, but I ended up at Fisk University, no scholarship, no plan B. And uh, my entire life turned upside down, uh, being the pride of Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, wearing a suit, uh, carrying a briefcase, alligator skin shoes, looking the part. Ended up at Fisk University. Didn't know that 90% of the black doctors in Cincinnati graduated from Fisk and Meharry um, Medical College. So I'm like, do they have a football team? That's the first question. You know, is there football? Nope. I'm like, I'm not coming. <laughs> but came down, keep my eligibility, and then I just saw the big picture. I'm a historical black college and university, John Lewis, W.E.B. DuBose, uh, and I'm going, wow, uh, this was hidden from me as a black, you know, black young man, uh, this big HBCU world. And, and there where I, was where I just settled down, saw the big picture in life uh, and surrendered to just going to school with no sports. But I didn't know how to pay for the school. And that's mm -hmm. where the Transformation Life Center came from, where I would walk from Fisk, 3.1 miles from Career services all the way up West End, and this is in the early 90s. Yeah, West End wasn't that nice. It wasn't the Gulch. No, definitely <laughs> you not. You didn't go down Hermosa and with the briefcase of navy blue suit on, you know, alligator skin shoes. I'm walking uh, at 18, 19, 20, you know, three miles, uh, three plus miles. I was going there and coming back a couple of times to pay my way through school mm. because I did not have that full ride scholarship that my parents and I thought we would have. But I did not quit. I walked up and back, up and back uh, to my internships to pay for college. And it was through that struggle that something bigger, uh, a more God-sized, uh, unimagined dream for me and my pathway to success took place uh, uh, after I graduated six years, uh, going through that homelessness, sleeping on the uh, the, the dorm director's couch, uh, bumming um, some food from friends. Uh, again, just a dark struggle. And, man, I finally graduated after six years, got my dream job with IBM, came back like, what the heck just happened? Why did I have to go through this struggle of walking and the shame of, you know, uh, being the pride of Cincinnati, all this this pressure on you to have that S on your chest as an 18-, 19-year-old to do well. Um, but I finally graduated came back and I vowed to walk 3.1 miles in a suit and sneakers and, and run in a 5k that I started called steps of success to help give back to college students. And it was during that walk, uh, now making $72,000 at IBM Fisk university graduate. And I just saw the big picture that man, I've got to do something to help kids not go through what I went through. And that's when the transformation life center was birthed through the Steps of Success 5K. And here we are 13 years later. I'm still running in a, in a darn suit <laughs> and sneakers. Wouldn't trade it for the world, but we've done it $72,000. The joy is seeing uh, $30,000 and $40,000 in scholarships go back to students to commemorate my struggle and help them succeed. I love that. So uh, I feel like I'm almost cheating interviewing you because I've already done it. So I know, I know there's a couple little pieces that I want to touch on. All right, so first things first, the suit. The alligator shoes, the briefcase, the, you know, that entire demeanor as an 18, 19 year old is a little weird. So, you know, it's a different thing to, to be in that because most 18, 19 year olds aren't dressing like that, but it goes back even further than that. What was it? Fifth grade. Like when did you start wearing a suit every day? Man, fifth grade, I started wearing suits. Of course, my mom and dad thought it would be a phase, but my hero was my dad. Okay. You know, I saw him get up every day. Uh, my mom, uh, I say, didn't work 
Well, she did because she raised six kids. She right, had the right. real that's, job. That's a lot of work. Dad went to work at UPS. <laughs> but mom did the real work, keeping five boys and a girl sharp and, and, and just nurturing us. Dad brought the money home. They both uh, took ownership of cultivating us to be leaders and to be great citizens and, and role models. Uh, so I just started throwing on that suit. See, my dad, you know, uh, we grew up in the church. You know, my dad was head deacon, so I couldn't get in trouble. Uh, the teachers was always, I'm going to tell your dad on you, uh, little preacher's kid. You right, know, right, right. I had all that pressure and stress that I couldn't do things. Uh, but that suit started in fifth grade. Thought my parents said, ah, oh, he'll grow out of it. And then high school suit, you know, wow, this is not a phase. I just right. felt something just felt right when I put that suit on. Uh, and then it attributed to me and my focus on being successful. Mm. Um, and so imagine me Friday night before a game with a suit on, balled up in my locker room, go play a game. We went 39 to nine. So pretty good football team. And then put the suit back on and go to a party. Right. Not the traditional, as you alluded to, uh, 18 year old um, doing that. But it went from fifth grade, high school. And then I showed up in 1992 in, in May at Fisk University with that same suit and briefcase and, and shoes. And the students did not believe I was 18. They said, man, they thought I was a teacher. Right, right. I had to pull my license out. And they said, man, this guy is 18. He is an old nature. Uh, but it became my brand. I didn't know then. But, and today, um, everyone looks at me and says, hey, that, that's the guy that runs in a suit and sneakers and helps transform lives. So uh, I'm glad that I surrendered to the brand early. Um, and it's pretty hip now. Other CEOs are flying in, right. wearing suits, so it's it's got its own personality. But it's it's a story behind all that. It started in fifth grade. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, what's really fascinating to me about that story is when you're in fifth grade, sixth grade, you know, all the way through college, like your number one job. And it's so funny uh, looking back at that. But your number one job at that age is to, is to fit in, like socially. <laughs> Be a cohesive unit, be part of it, do not be socially ostracized, learn about the world, learn how to date, learn how to, you know, all the different things that then eventually lead into you being a fully functioning adult, which is hilarious. Me looking at my 30s now, like, you know, when you're 13, all you want to do is fit in. At 33, I'm over here like, man, being like everybody else sounds like hell. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that's the last exactly thing I want to do. Right. Uh, uh, but but there, there's a season and a stage of life in each, and, and you were purposefully making your, your othering yourself within your own community. Yes. Um, how did you... How did you maneuver through that? And how did you, in a way, self-preserve, grow, adapt? Talk to me about that, because that is an interesting just life choice. Yeah, it's um, it's identity, you know. Um, and I look back now, going into my 50th year this year, and, and it's a struggle with most young people. It's fitting in, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not being out of the box, not being true to who you are because you have so much pressure of, you know, the, the guys, right. The girls and the, the, the girls, you know, trying to, you know, be somebody and, 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 and overcome struggles personally and what they're going through. Uh, but for me, it was, man, I always had the strength to be able to state the facts. Uh, again, my, my school was kind of half and half black and white. You know, I was the guy they went to um, when there was issues, mm. my black friends trusted me. My white friends trusted me to tell the truth. And that was the role that I accepted early on. Again, not it's not traditional, right? Most guys right. just want to. But I, again, that old nature in me and just respecting people who came to me and said, Demetrius, don't go to that party because you're one of the good. We're believing in you. Mm. 
Now, I want to go to the party and have a good time, but to see that 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds saw something in me mm-hmm. that, no, we don't want you to be negatively influenced, you know, and I'm looking at them on the outside saying, no, I want to be like you because you're having all the fun. You've right. got all the girls. You've got all the fame. Uh, and, it, and it cost me, when I say cost me, a lot of fun that I thought was important. But when I go back to my 30-year reunion and those same people look at me and say, and introduce me to their wives and their husbands. And I have tears in my eyes because they say, this guy was a brother to me. Mm. He was there when my girlfriend broke up. He was there when my mom died, my, when my grandmother died. He was there when I almost fell out. He de- never treated me different. Man, that's, it was an honor and well worth some of the things I thought was important then. Just go back and see them now. And I was in Cincinnati a couple of weeks ago and to go down my neighborhood street and just walk and just see a couple of neighbors who were still there and say, Demetrius, wow. Uh, that brought the joy just to say, I'm so glad you were strong enough to be you. Uh, be strong enough to have those values. Be strong enough to have focus on the future and not just the fun that you most kids uh, surrender to early on. You only get one life. Do it all. Do it big. Well, those things cost you later on in life, you know, with right. the drugs, the alcohol, the negative influences. And and, and I'm, I'm not squeaky clean. I'm not sitting here judging anyone. But I I would not change uh, some of that fun of the past for, for where I am right now because I really believe I am the most blessed man in the world. I believe my friends truly believe in me because they did it when they were 16. When they should have been pushing me to be, <laughs> come on with us. Right. They were saying no. And I'm going, yes, I do. They were going, no. I remember one time my mom was mad at me because I was, I was going to these parties. You know, again, preacher's kid. You shouldn't be going to that. I'm like, hey, I'm 16. I'm about to I'm going right, to have right, a good right. time. And she was saying, well, there's, there's, there's drugs and there's alcohol there. I don't want you to be around there. And I said, you know, good point. And I remember I went. I said, I'm going to prove something. I'm going to see. What happens? I went, you know, I'm the quarterback. I grabbed the beer, popped it open, and man, within seconds, I had two of my linemen in my face. John Edwards, he grabbed me, said, Hey, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm going, Hey, man. And I mean, he he grabbed it and he said, Demetrius, no. I mean, how humbling is that to know that people see more in you than what you see in yourself at that age? And that, I went home, I said, Mom, my friends care. And it proved to me that, no, they are not going to let me do certain things that I want to do. And that's what we need to do in the type of friendships we need in business and in life. You need people who are strong enough to to see more in you and say, hey, you know, no, we're friends and everything, but hey, you're you're doing something wrong. I I don't don't value that. Men of integrity, men of character, you know, those things can come back and get you. So it, it, it helped me and I was strong enough to surrender to that early on non-traditional way you know again 16 to to 19 those great years in in high school uh but i had great friends who saw more in me and i'm i'm truly appreciative of them in that relationship so let's let's fast forward a little bit so you've got this um strong community base in your life of people who believe in you and people who are very proud of you and people who expect a lot from you and then next thing you know you're homeless at 22 you know talk about the the humbling experience because i i've talked about this before where I believe that, especially amongst men, so Phoenix Club Pod, All Men Podcast, Mm -hmm. we all have ego. And 
especially amongst high achieving individuals, which again, if you even seek something out to go through the process of the Phoenix club, to even have the chance of being in it, you're somewhat high achieving. That's just kind of the nature of the individual that's going to find that. And this ego, especially amongst men, is so interesting because this ego drives you to go and achieve things that you wouldn't achieve if you didn't have that ego. But then it can also be so incredibly destructive because you tell yourself a story that when there becomes an incongruency between the story and what is reality, it can send you down a very, very dangerous spiral. Yep. And you have to learn how to manage the story you tell yourself while maintaining a healthy level of drive and competitiveness to go and better yourself. So, okay, so you've got this ego like every other 18-year-old man does, period. Like it's the (laughs) testosterone is like oozing through you. (laughs) Right. Um, But you're sleeping on on the dorm director's couch. Wow. Like... Talk about that. Talk about the the kick to the gut on that, and how do you pull yourself out of that darkness? Yeah, it was the shame. You know, shame is 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 a rude awakening for, for everyone, and, and it can be positive, right? Because it, it was humbling to to go home and put that fake smile on. And my parents were saying, "How's school going?" I'm 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 I have a one point eight GPA, and I'm so glad that they didn't have electronic means. Right, right, right. I think my dad he kind of hinted he knew something was going on because I kept saying, "I'm picking up a couple other classes," you know. Oh, I'm a double major, and I did, but it was my lie to say. Man, I failed calculus twice. I'm not going to ask mom and dad, you know, for right. money. I'm going. I got to hide all this because it, the look and perception of success for me, it was the look I bought into that. But on the inside, man, I was a failure. Mm. Bad, bad habits. Uh, uh, staying up. My dad told me to stay on campus. I moved off. He his whole methodology was was stick around people who are on the same pathway to success as you. I moved in with two roommates who were not in school and I'm playing basketball at three o'clock in the morning because they worked and got off at three o'clock in the morning. And I failed calculus twice because I couldn't get up for my eight o'clock class. Mm. So all those failures were gut checks for me and my ego saying, Hey, you have this perception, but you're making these bad mistakes that are continually to put you behind in life. And now you have to continue to live this lie and keep that, that shame of, I can't tell them, I need help. And that's the biggest thing with men. I mean, I learned you have to ask for help. I saw asking for help as weakness. I have teachers today at Fist who were still mad at me. They said, why didn't you ask for help? We we, 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 we would have helped you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't know you were sneaking into the dorm director's office um, at night and, and, and sleeping on that couch. Or my friend Mario, you know, who let me sleep on, a, on, on, his, on his sofa uh, as an RA in a room. Uh, so the humility of that with the ego was, man, you know, you have to be strong enough to say, hey, uh, I always use an analogy, when we get a 90% on the test, we got 90% right, but we get, but we got 10% wrong also. Right. And it's that 10%. Who, who, how many parents and how many men have ever gone home and said, hey, Johnny, um, before I take you out to Chuck E. Cheese to celebrate this A, let's go over that 10%. Because those things that you got wrong, that 10% right, we pat ourselves on the back for all the things we're doing great. Demetrius is a great football player. Demetrius is this. Demetrius is that. But, man, they don't see Demetrius uh, eating uh, uh, oodles and noodles right? Right, right. <laughs> with with a pair of $500 pair of shoes on looking the part. So I had, to, I had to live that lie. And it took humility. It took me to check my ego um, and the walk and all the pressure and, and me finally having the – mental strength to say, dude, you need some help. Cry out for help. 
and I had some mentors and some individuals that took me under their wings and said, man, you, you've got to get out of school. What's going on? And it, they gut checked me. They showed me that, man, work on this 10%. You're a smart guy. You got in the fist, right? You, you're a 3.8, but you have all this other 10%, you know, bad study habits, uh, uh, procrastination, right? You know, you're doing all these things. Your mind just goes. And they're like, that's good, but it's also bad. And I was just living through those negative experiences. And I had to just sit down and say, man, ask for help. Check your ego at the door and know that you're uh, surrounded by people who really want to see you do better. But the ego has to be checked at the door. Men of Pecan, you know, surround yourself with people who can see uh, the good and the bad in you and be willing to speak up. Uh, I didn't have a lot of yes men around me. I had men that were strong enough to say, hey, we're not satisfied with where you are. When are you going to get out of school? It's enough of all these other things. Cut and trim the fat in all these other areas of life that make you look good. Let's work on those key areas that's that's stopping you from succeeding and getting out of school and in, until I did, did, did that, man, I would have still been sleeping on that couch right. uh, year after year. But it was challenges. It was uh, overcoming the shame and frustration. Failure is good for everyone. You can't fear failure. Every successful person has had to fail at something um, because failure shows you what you're not so good at. Um, and that's what I want to surrender to is finding out what's stopping you from actually being the best version of Demetrius that the world needs. Yeah. Nobody's batting a thousand. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's impossible. And and the sooner you can accept the fact that, that failing is a, a part of the journey, not the end of a journey, the, the more effective it, it becomes in teaching you how to grow as an individual on that front. Growth. All about growth. So let's, let's talk about the transformation life center. So you, you, um, you know, you go through this experience in your twenties, obviously you, you, I'm assuming you, you're not sleeping on people's couches right now. So you got no. that together, right? <laughs> every now and then with the wife, you know, but every day. But, but it's still your couch. Still my couch. Still your couch, not somebody else's. Um, all right, so let's talk about impacting the youth in, in the community, especially um, the African-American youth in Nashville. Um, you know, North Nashville has some of the highest incarceration rates for, mm -hmm. for black young men in the country. I actually think it at one point was the highest. Mm -hmm. Um, I forgot the name of the, of the, uh, area, but it's also got one of the highest, you know, drive by shooting rates. It's mm -hmm. got, it's got a lot of, um, good and bad. Let's mm -hmm. just say that a lot of wonderful history. Like you said, Fisk, Meharry, TSU, a lot of, a lot of. Uh, uh, strong history in that community, but then also a lot of problems that some of them are systemic, some of them historic, some of them uh, across the board. So how do you, how do you get to the point where you are today to where you're like, let me show these kids something other than what they see? Man, that's the power of transformation life center and the joy that I have as CEO um, for 13 years is that as a black man, I know what, I had to face, you know, with all the, uh, my mom and dad, a sheltered life for most of the students that we impact. And you would think that, oh, Demetrius would get a pass. Um, but to be labeled, to be, you know, the first day at IBM, you know, I'm walking down my boss female at IBM in the 90s, you know. Right. Black female, C-level, you know. <laughs> that was already kind of a, a, a thing that she was battling. Robin Massey, my, my mentor, she hired five black students out of HBCUs. I was one. Brought us to IBM, and we're walking down the hall. I get to my desk. I'm putting a picture up of my fiance, about to get married. And and I overhear some people next to me in the cube next to me saying, um, 
man, what are they doing here? Mm. What are they? Right, right, right. You know, I want you to catch that. What? what and I just kind of picked up and I mean whispering pretty loud, you know, like so the 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 sight of five black students coming down the hall was was abnormal for them and not normal. Right. And this is a day of screensavers, right? So I put on my screensaver, I'm here for a reason. Mm. And by my work, my reason will be made known. Mm. I'm not here because of affirmative action, a checkbox. I am right. an esteemed alum of Fisk University. I paid my dues and I belong here. Uh, but those were the things that I had to go through and say, wow, this is day one. Right, right, right. <laughs> At work. So I took ownership in helping to pave the way for more black and brown students. Right. For me to feel that way, to go into a bank and, and to have to, you know, oh, I can't watch this. And it made sense when my dad would say, hey, you know, he would give us a dissertation before we came home or went out for any game. And I'm going, dad, I just want to go out. Don't, Dimitri, don't scratch your leg. If you get pulled over, I mean, that's the life of a black man. Right. You know, you go through 15 degrees of separation just to go out because parents, you know, know that, you know, if you get pulled over because of the color of your skin or what you have on, you know, you 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 may be profiled. Right. Um, so Transformation Life Center is my platform to say, hey, we're going to go to the neighborhoods that need us the most. It took a board member, a white board member to look at me in the face. And he said, do not let this organization turn white. And I'm like, what do you mean? Well, some of my biggest supporters, he said, Demetrius, I've been looking for a black leader who was tangible, who was relevant, and who had persistence. And I found you. We need you to be black and impact the communities that need to see black, strong men. Mm -hmm. So our thing now is they have to see who we want them to be. And Transformation Life Centers now, we walk over. We go to North Nashville, East Nashville, 37207-08-09. We target schools that our, our literacy, rates, um, literacy rates are low because what good is it patting ourselves on the back and we're, you know, we're at Innsworth, the Father Ryan. Right. And, and it's like, hey, we're doing great things. Well, the numbers already said that. Right. Uh, the, 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 the neighborhoods that you talked about, those are the ones we roll our sleeves up and find that if we can impact those communities, those kids need education and opportunities. They need to see that there is a way out. Because when you go over there and you see the negative influences, when there's no banks, when there's no fresh foods, even if there were fresh foods, they couldn't afford the fresh foods, right? There's a Dollar General, there's a liquor store. It's keep them poor, keep them frustrated. And um, through that poor poverty and frustration comes violence. Right. Because these are kids who are just trying to survive. The first school we partnered with, with Brown Boys Read, 73%, Buena Vista Elementary, 73% of the fathers in the entire school were incarcerated. Damn. 73%. And I'm going, do we want to? <laughs> and I said, no, this is where we need to be. We started bringing African-American men into the school. We started reading an hour, running an hour, and the principal would sit there and cry and say, you are not just changing the boys we give you. You're changing the makeup of our whole school because the attitudes of the boys, seeing uh, a black male who tells you, I love you. I always tell my volunteers, the hug you give may be the only one that boy gets for the whole week. Make it a good one. Say, I love you. That might be the only time when his mom is saying you're going to be nothing like your no good dad out of her own frustration. We're like, no, this boy needs hope. 
give him a chance. Give a nine-year-old a freaking chance, right? And speak some love. Uh, and we do that by going into and not talking about the community. Those stats are real. Appreciate you giving them to me. But, man, in my mind, I'm saying, you know what? I'm not going to let the drug dealer get him. I'm going to show up and say, I'm going to make it hard for him and say, hey, right. he has support. So when you bring the 500 to do something bad, I'm going to bring the $1,000 scholarship to send him to school and make him do well. That's what frustrates me so much about uh, some of the conversations of well-being people who've not been surrounded by bad neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell people all the time, I had a very strong family unit. I still do. Um, I 100% see how somebody ends up being a drug dealer. Mm. 100%. No. With I could 100% see how I would end up being a drug dealer. Right. <laughs> no questions asked. With my attitude and my drive, mm-hmm. and a lot of these folks, just channel that into something else where you've got nothing to lose. All right. And you've got no guidance. Hopelessness. Yeah, like, really? Really? You are an entrepreneur, and you had all this drive to go out there and make it because you saw a path to make it happen? Now, put your same exact drive, same exact attitude, and put yourself in an environment where you see no other avenue mm-hmm. to make it, and you wouldn't go and start selling drugs? Right. Give me a break. That's right. Like it, it's all about just exposing these kids and giving them something to lose. Because like you said, when the dope boy is coming up and giving you $500 to, 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 uh, just stand in the cops, yeah, right. just scope out the cops, <laughs> hey. stand in the corner. <laughs> hey little right. homie, right. It's 500. Right. Tell me when the cops come. Right. That 500 makes sense when you've got nothing to lose. When you have nothing to lose. So you got to give them something to lose. You got to give them, you got to give them a vision for their life where they can look up 20, 10 years from now and be like, mm-hmm. damn, I can be something. There you go. And that's and, and, and ignite, inspire, transform lives. That's our mission. And, tra- and transformation, transformation. I struggle with that word. That's a powerful word. Transformation to become, mm. to become. What would this world looks like if everyone who had a dream, and it wasn't extinguished because my mom left me or my dad left me, or I went through foster care to become. Man, wouldn't this world be be great? There wouldn't be a lot, a lot of larvas, right? There'd be a bunch right. of butterflies. But it's that larva stage, that dark cocoon where you got to fight like hell to get through what you got to go through in life. <clears throat> so Transformation Life Center is, no, let's help these children, drug, 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 drug addiction, poverty, low income, they still deserve to become butterflies. And they just need someone to get with them in that cocoon and give them opportunities to say, hey. We bought the Ferrari over one day, and Daryl Freeman did a, did a, a session. You can get it the right way or the wrong way. He's right. like, everyone, he grabbed the, and the guys are going, oh, my God, oh, my God. And he's looking at him, and I had tears in my eyes watching a black, successful man who had the story like me, 1.7 GPA at uh, Middle Tennessee State, failed out, now multimillionaire, Slim and Huskies, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Zykron and all this. He hired me 20 years ago. I was a product of, of, of Daryl Freeman. To show them that, hey, guys, you can get this the right way. And for them to see that and see those eyes, uh, and he's and he's, and he's not, you know, a rapper saying, you know, be this and hose this and, and all that, all that music and everything, it, it gave them hope. And it showed them a different pathway, which is why the program is called Pathway to Success. We have to get on the path. We have to break down barriers that will arise, the drug dealers, the, 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 I don't have a mentor. I don't know how to do this. Nobody in my family has ever gone through this path. We get in there and help surround them through inspiration and mentoring and coaching to take them all the way through their health, through their education, and also say, you need to be leaders. You are the future pecans, the future chai the future black leaders who we want 
to go right back into your hood and pull another one of your friends out. That's the whole methodology of TLC moving forward by giving back everyone who we touch. They are required to go back into their community, give us 12 to 16 hours of free volunteer service. So the same drug dealer can say, wait a minute, Johnny. Hey man, I got a, I'm a plumber, man. I went in college, wasn't for me. TLC showed me a different path, man. Hey, Making six figures as a plumber. I, I'm, make, hey, I'm a project manager in construction. Right. And you can make $85,000 here in Nashville. Look at all the cranes. I tell the kids, look up. I said, you see that? Those are opportunities. That's not just brick, mortar, and dirt. They're project managers, IT directors. There are uh, 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 bosses that, that, that work these cranes. And you can go that way in two years or one year, go to Nashville State for free. There's so many other opportunities that we're giving to them that they would never get because their parents have been impacted by the systemic racism and oppression and their grandparents and their grandparents and their grandparents. So here I am having my hand a, a, a future who can break out his whole family's generational curses of poverty, a lack of education. And when we do that, oh man, it, it breaks that whole cycle and sends that young man into a whole new different stratosphere for success for his family. And all we ask him to do is you pay it forward by coming back and, and volunteering doing and, doing this, and doing the same thing. Well, and it's it's so powerful what you're doing there because, like, all right, the streets are ruthless. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> the streets are ruthless. You do not mm. want to be in that life. It's not an attractive life. Mm. All you have to do is offer them something that's more attractive. That's it. And like, if, if these kids have to choose between standing on the block and, and uh, you know, getting to see a Ferrari, which one do you think they're going to choose? Man, wow. I mean, they, they – <laughs> I mean, we and we see, and I, and, and I look at the pecan. I, I tell my friends when they they have honest conversations at Demetrius, but man, it's getting so bad. I said, well, you know, when our boys show up for Brown Boys Read and 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 they have mold on their shoes, right? And and a, or a little boy comes to my wife and says, "Can I get an extra bag of chips for my for my sister?" And my wife says, "Well, how many? Well, There's four of us at home, and you haven't eaten? No." When we realize that sometimes our meal for that program is the best meal that they have in a day right oh my goodness man it make it it just makes you want to do more and that's where the funding and, and the 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 our call out now to do more we've been hovering around 15 to 20 we're like daggone it man we got to get to 100 kids we got to change these neighborhoods because these kids are crying out for the help and all of them have been receptive to you know what we've brought um but we see that it's their parents that even needs to help. So now we're getting their parents into financial literacy workshops mm. and trying to cultivate the whole family because we're telling Johnny, we love you. He's going home to an environment that's totally uh, different than what we give. Um, right. And so we got to get in there and penetrate that whole family and, uh, and save the whole unit. Um, and every now and then we do, but more importantly, we can get the boy and we can get that man to be a leader and be a, a good citizen Man, they come back and, and they change their friends. Um, we see it happen every year. Well, yeah, it's that positive influence. And it's the, again, just a lot of these kids have never left a six-block radius. No. Ever. Mm. Ever. They live in North Nashville and never been downtown. Concrete. They, they're a product of their environment. Yeah. And, and we pull them out. Man, you you told me a story the last time we spoke about the deer. Oh. Tell the story. <laughs> so we got... 40, 50 brown boys at the at my race, Steps of Success 5K. We're getting them ready. You know, boys being boys, right? Little rally. And right, right, right. Running around. We're, man, we're at Shelby Park, and, and Captain Rucker, my my, my, my co-captain, he's a, you know, Marine, six foot four, you know, big, right. big guy. Hey, guys, calm down. They're just, they're just going 
bananas. And we turn around and say, hey, it's a deer. And he says, you guys have seen a deer before. And they said, no, uh-uh, coach. And we just stopped. The epiphany was Shelby Park. Is in East Nashville. It's in East Nashville. Right. These boys are coming from Napier, you know. And a couple blocks over, these boys see a deer live for the first time. And their whole and, and it showed to us that, man, we can't take for granted or we can't assume mm-hmm. that these young boys know they need to be taught. So that was a eye opening so now we, we we're we're planning right now to take them out to dinner here in a couple of weeks we just graduated uh cohort number five and that deer experience stays in our head we say hey let's take them out to dinner maybe they don't know how to pull out a chair for a for, for 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 their date maybe they don't know how to eat with the right fork maybe let's give them a good steak man hey here's a here's vegetables here are healthy alternatives than the chips and dip and the processed gmo foods that's continually to plague the black community in our health it's it's diabetes and hypertension that's killing us more than gun violence right. so the health part you know while we're talking about you know the gang bangers it's not the gang bangers pull the stats it's hypertension and <laughs> and diabetes and heart disease that's killing more african american men than gun violence uh, so how can we get them uh, educated? How can we get them equipped with with uh, tools to be leaders? And lastly, man, what good is it to be a good student, take a boy from the projects, and he graduates from Vanderbilt or TSU or Fisk, for him to get that dream job, get a family, to walk into his first physical with a great job, and the mm. doctor says, sir, you have diabetes. Mm. So we are holistically saying from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet, we make them run, we make them eat, they drank juice, uh, they juice for the first time last week and all the boys were drinking fresh fruits and vegetables, so we're giving away a couple uh, juicers to some of their families. So again, we're starting habits that they don't have. Right. How many people are buying a $450 Nama juicer too <laughs> in the hood where you go to? Right. Oh, I'm a game maker. You juice, yeah, I juice. No. <laughs> 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 man, that's not culture, right, my friend? Man, it's this game, hey, man. You won't catch me with a juicer, man. Right? That's not that's not hood culture. But uh, to see the 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 eyelids go up, and to see the exposure we give them to a new way, another way, an option, right? Whether they take it, you know, we can't force them, but we know what way they're going. But we have to offer that other pathway to success. And once that person makes up their mind and we nurture them enough to make good decisions, man, we're, we're doing a great job of all, all of our boys and all of our young men doing and going on to do great things. Yeah, it's wild, like, just hearing all these things and thinking through it. And, like, I've talked about it with, you know, being a, being a father and having a 16-month-old daughter. And I've, th- I've thought about that even within my own family. Like, the life that my kids are going to have versus the life that some of their cousins are going to have. Ain't night and day, man. Mm-hmm. Just purely by the simple fact of who I and my wife are. Mm-hmm. And the access that our children will have to certain... I mean, even something as simple like, I promise you 90% of the people that will listen to this have never thought about the fact that just by the simple fact that you're taking these young black boys who are in predominantly black neighborhoods mm-hmm. who never see white people. Nope. Unless, unless they're white people in some sort of authority situation, exposing them to uh, high achieving white folks mm-hmm. and let them know like, 
these people put on their pants just like you do. Just like you. So to where when they show up to work, and if unfortunately they are in a situation where somebody says, what are they doing here? They're like, nah, bro, I belong here. Mm-hmm. Like exposing them to that. Man, this and this this is this is good because I mean, and, and for this podcast, I mean, I, I challenge because people say, Demetrius, I have blacks saying we don't want the whites. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I get it. You know, yeah, yeah. what have they done for us for 401 years? So I have those strong blacks who are like, Demetrius, no, I don't want to read with a white man. I, let mm-hmm. it be all black. And then I have my um, uh, white, my, then I have to say, no, here's my, my, my premise. When I left Fisk, Fisk was Wakanda. We had one white student. Wow. So I lived in Wakanda. <laughs> my right. teachers believed in me. My teachers called my parents. When I didn't, so Mr. Short, they, they were like aunties and uncles. They cared for us because they right. said, do you know how much blood was shed for you to get to Fisk? And you're going to skip class. I'm going to call. And I'm going, wow, this is not what the traditional white school. They're like, well, you know. Yeah. Survive like everyone else, but that HBCU experience gives you that extra nurturing because they know the sacrifices that it took to get there. But when I left Fisk and got to IBM, I was the, they told me, who were they? They So my premise was, I don't want our young boys to think that the world looks like them. Mm. I want them to see a real world. So I invite all my PECOM members, you are open to sign up. And come shoulder to shoulder with me as strong men. Let me say that again. Strong men who believe in building men. I didn't mention what color, did I? Right. It needs and takes all of us because my brown boys read person who hasn't seen a white man, who the hood is telling them when you see a white man, he's up to no good and run. Right. And innocent boys are getting shot who've done nothing but, hey, white guy. Guess he's no good. Run and get shot because, (laughs) and now we're burying our babies. And mom's saying he didn't do anything. But because of that perception of their neighborhood, not seeing that, I am opening the door for our white brothers and sisters to come in. And they like it because they say to me, they're nervous. They're like, I I said, be you. Right, be you. I said, be you because my brown boys read and my college successors and pathways to success they need to be prepared for the real world. And I want that seven-year-old, eight-year-old boy who, can, like me, graduates from college or get in a career and walk in the first day and their boss is a white male, I've got to combat that negative stereotype in his neighborhood of white is wrong and evil. Right. I'm saying no. These boys are seeing some of my greatest mentors were white. They read with me. Right. They were there with Demetrius. Now they trust me. I tell my wife friends, I don't don't go over to Napier by yourself. I'm gonna change. I said, No, yeah, you, yeah, better, you, don't better, do that. Yeah. you better call me first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't <laughs> okay. go, don't go be a white savior. They're gonna don't look at you that. and say, Demetrius, he's good. I'm gonna say he's with me. They're gonna yeah. say, Okay. So yeah, don't be a white savior and yeah, yeah, and yeah. go over. I mean, it's it's a code, it's a way to get in there. But I think Transformation Life Center wants all different. We bring the females, the males. My wife is the director of Black Men Run Brown Boys Read, and people say, Why? I said, Because I want these men to see strong females that potentially become wives or, or our future children come from all of this. It's like, it's going to take all of us because if I paint a picture of black dominance and make them so strong with male black dominance, 
they will become bad employees because we've put a negative spin on the oppression. It is no, we accept what has happened. Right. We can do something about it, but don't be so gong ho and go to HCA or go to your, your 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 dream job and go in and say, I don't want to work for you. You're you've you've never done anything to me. It takes all of us at the table together to cultivate and have the crucial conversations that need to happen. I'm 50, right? I'm still right. getting conversations that are, that are healing me. Uh, so I'm trying to reciprocate that to a younger generation to let them know that not everybody white is, is bad. Some of my most influential people in my life are not black, black people. And we welcome them. They're at the table with me. And um, we give them the world. We give them what the real world is. It's not an all black world. Not an all white world. It's a world that just wants to be respected and for you to be a model citizen and add to it, not take away from it. And that's what we do at TLC. Yeah, and it, it's just such an interesting conversation because, so I'll, I'll, a little personal side story. So I grew up in Memphis. Like, I grew up around black folks. Mm -hmm. Like, you walk into the bank, everybody's black. You walk into the grocery <laughs> store, everybody's black. It's like 65% black. You just, it just is. Um, so my best friend is, is, um, is black. And I remember this like it was yesterday. So my wife grew up in New Mexico, which is, uh, predominantly white and Hispanic. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we're at the rehearsal dinner. So I'm best man at my boy's wedding. Oh, wow. All right. So like, there's like 400 people at the wedding. There's like four white people, including myself and my wife. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, to me, that's nothing. Like, mm -hmm. again, grow up in, growing up in Memphis, that's just, that's a thing. But I remember the rehearsal dinner. It was, I don't know, maybe 30 folks. And uh, afterwards, my wife looked at me and said, I think that was the first time in my life that I was only, like, that I was one of two white people in the mm. room. Wow. And I was like, that's wild because I've been in that room a million times, <laughs> but like it's the exception to the rule, not the rule. And I was like, man, a lot of people probably feel that way. Whereas if you're a black man, like how often are you the only black guy in a room? Right. Right. All the time. All the time. All the time. All the so, time. So just helping people empathize with other people's experiences and helping people understand and like, uh, yeah, don't be the white savior thing. Like if mm -hmm. you're going to help go, there's a, like you said, there's a code, there's a way to, to win friends and, and influence That's people, it. man. Like you gotta, you gotta have, uh, you gotta have uh, the acceptance of somebody respected within any community. It doesn't matter if I go to Grundy mm -hmm. County right now in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, and I show up, they're gonna be like, "Who are you?" Mm -hmm. Right, right. But like, if I'm if if one of the one of the folks who who's from an influential local family there is like, "No, no, no, y'all to this foreign dude with a weird name, he's right. good." <laughs> I would just be like, "All right, great, like welcome aboard." Right. Um. So there's a there's a strategy to impact. There's a strategy to uh, doing it in a way to where. Uh, people will actually listen mm -hmm. to to doing it in a way to uh, where you can look at these little kids and say, "Hey, you know, it doesn't have to be this right, way." Right, right. Um, and the conversation the conversation has to happen. I mean, the president of Cigna, he 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 and, he and I have a um, conversation once a quarter. Right. And he always says, and I didn't get it. He said, "Demetrius, you notice that when you talk, I never interrupt." Mm. He said, "I listen." He said, "And I go home and tell my three white sons, I have a." employee that I listen to because I don't have to tell you all what his dad told him. Don't snit, don't cough, don't reach for the glove compartment. Right, right, right. You all go out, have a good time, don't break curfew, get home. But right. Demetrius's dad had to, just because of the color of his skin, had to protect and give all these other additional things. So for me, it's it's communication. Um when George Floyd, I mean I had more dinners and I became a safe haven for a lot of white organizations um, oh. during that tension uh, and Ahmaud Aubrey and all, I mean, I had 
organizations DMing me saying, hey, I heard that I can have a safe conversation. I don't know how to have the conversation. Right. And I sat with East Nashville food owners and, and CEOs, and they sat there and they cried. They said, Demetrius, do I call you black? Do I say African-American? Why do they wear their pants? Out? And, and, and I said, like I did in high school, I've got to own this conversation because if the wrong black person who's bitter and angry and is going to turn the and throw gasoline on an already racial divide in our country, then true conversation will never take place for us to move the pendulum to the right direction of freedom and justice and liberty for all. Right. So I always get that back in the back of my head. I don't lie. I tell the truth. I use my own experiences and I say mm -hmm. simply, how would you feel if you had a better credit score than the white man in front of you and you walked in the bank and you had on jeans and a t-shirt, he on the blue suit and he looked the part, but your credit score was better than him. And you walked out with a, a, a higher interest rate mm -hmm. just because of, just because of profiling. How would you feel if, if you had to tense up every time you, went by a police officer, you've done nothing wrong. You drive into a neighborhood. My friend's driving BMWs or whatever, and and and, and you can't drive that car because you're going to be profiled, and you got to drive the old Honda Accord. I'm going, well, wait a minute. I've earned, I've earned the right to live where I want to live, to go in and be respectful, but it doesn't get reciprocated all the time. So perspective and being able to listen, use our two ears, Listen to both sides and um, and come out with you know sometimes agreeing to, dis to disagree in some areas, but I think you know I love the opportunity that we can have those true conversations and white and black and and uh, at the end of the day look at those boys and say hey if you come spend a day with me you may find something that you know you judged from the outside that may be in perspective when I walk you over and say. There's no grocery store for four, for five miles. How are they going to get there? And no public transportation. No, no public transportation. And no way to get anywhere. So yep. you're stuck in a in a literal hell because um, redlining. Yeah, the city that you live in is purposefully designed a city in such a way to where only if you have money can you get your basic necessities. That's it. But yet we are uh, not addressing that issue because why would I? I've got a car. Mm -hmm. Hey man. Public transportation is for poor folks. What right. are you talking about? Right. Hey, sidewalks <laughs> are for poor folks, man. It's right. hot out here. It's in Nashville. I'm driving. Give me that AC. Right. And what, what uh, I mean, even think about the credit score example you just say. The history of the credit score is in the late 80s, credit scores were introduced uh, because before that point, the way you got a loan was like the banker was like, that's an upstanding young man. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give him that. I'm going to give him that right. mortgage. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, it's, that's not really the best way to, right. to, to run something like that. Um, well, okay. So let me ask you this. How can people get involved uh, with your organization? How can, where can people find more information? I mean, just give, give the pitch on, on anybody who's listening to this, whether they're in PECON, if they're in PECON, they're already aware um, of the organization and the impact you guys have in the community. But for the folks who are just listening, who are, um, you know, maybe they're just members of the community or maybe they're prospective members or, or uh, other nonprofits. Uh, tell us about Transformation Life Center. How can, how can folks get involved? Yeah, again, again, appreciate the opportunity to share and uh, the tremendous impact this year. We, we're doing some record numbers of, of giving and, and donations for us to be able to do more. Um, and Transformation Life Center, again, is Ignite, Inspire, Transform Lives. And our vision statement is cultivating future black leaders to positively impact their community and the world. We know that they may not always stay in Nashville. They may go somewhere. But we cultivate them here and wherever they go and how they grow 
uh, the world tank uh, becomes better because we did the cultivation here. So you can find us on uh, our website, transformationlifecenter.org. Um, our Instagram page is TLC underscore Nash. Uh, my personal Instagram is Demetrius Short. And our beloved annual 5K race, if you want to join us on September 9th for the 13th annual Steps of Success 5K, Come over and volunteer, pass out some water, see all the brown boys, see over 400 college students, see over 1,000 runners, all uh, bought into it's more than a race. It's a pathway to success. Help us raise $100,000 a day uh, on September 9th to give back to these programs. Um, you can uh, uh, follow us on those Instagram and Facebook and our website. Also, our direct number, if you want to go old school, 615 615- 997-6841. Give us a call. There are volunteer opportunities. We need coaches. We need mentors. We need donors. We need people to help advise our board. You know, we're we're 13 years old, but we have an advisory council. Any business owners who say, hey, I would love to work and support you all to make sure that you all continue to grow, to be able to do more in the community. We have all types of opportunities. So I'm open for coffee and conversation. Look forward to uh uh, continuing this conversation, thank you again for this opportunity to speak. It's always a joy uh, to share um, in all that PECON's doing and all the support that you all have given us so far. Well, we appreciate you. We um, And I personally, as the, the person in charge of the podcast and the stories, I'm, I'm always wanting to have interesting conversations. This is our second interesting conversation now. I mean, we hit it off at the leadership dinner anyway, so mm-hmm. I knew it was going to be an, an easy chat. But um a lot of these conversations, like uh, part of the discussion we had today, doesn't doesn't happen in a casual, comfortable environment. Um, so I want to commend you on that because I love the fact that you are looking to have dialogue rather than uh, score political points mm-hmm. <clears throat> or score points in the uh, you know uh, the virtue signaling mm-hmm. or or whatever it may be. Because a lot of folks, that's what they do: and, uh, black, white, brown. You know, whatever it may be, a lot of it is political points and virtue signaling. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not a real conversation. A real yeah. conversation is saying, hey, what's your experience? Here's my experience. How do we how do we reconcile the two? There you go. And how do we help understand to where every generation, we can't change the past, mm-hmm. right? Like, we, we can't. There's there's no past to change. Mm-hmm. We can't. We don't have a time machine. Uh, but how do we reconcile those discussions and how do we make every generation a little bit better to where they look up you know, a hundred years from now and say, my goal is for my great grandkids to look at me and my story and be like, man, he was messed up. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Like I want, I, right. that's, a, that's what, how I want the standard to be so much yes. higher for future generations. Yes. Um, so I thank you for coming on. I appreciate you uh, for everybody listening. We'll have the description of, uh, of how to get involved, how to contact uh, transformation life centers. And, and I'll have Demetrius's, um, uh, bio in it and all, as always you know phoenix club of nashville.org if you want to get a hold of us social media etc you know how to you know how to get there again in the description of the podcast and as always i, I appreciate you guys listening and we'll talk to you guys soon